For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by the returning Bob Phelan, who is back with us this week after a week off, and Nick Stevens. Um... On the Verge is part of Baltimore Sports and Life Radio. And on tonight's episode, we're going to get into our minor league all-stars for the Orioles' 2021 season. That's honoring the players with the best stat lines more so than the top prospects. But I think you'll find in a lot of cases, those were one and the same. So we'll touch on that as well as an Arizona Fall League preview as several Orioles prospects are now out in Arizona for some postseason play. We'll get to this show in a moment, but first... On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So um, just to start off, as I mentioned, Bob is back this week after a week off. Um, and a special thank you to our friend uh, Connor Newcomb over at Locked On Orioles for giving Bob a uh, rehab assignment as he discussed the Aberdeen Ironbirds uh, with Connor today. Uh, Nick was on last week to talk about the um, Norfolk Tides, so a couple of appearances over there to check out uh, over at Locked On Orioles. Yeah, you know, it was it was nice to get some rhythm back in there, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not feeling too sore after that appearance, so here I am. I'm back in the big leagues. Well, it's good to have you back, and we will uh, get right into our minor league all-stars for the 2021 season. As I mentioned in the intro, this is really about honoring the players that had the best stats in 2021. It's not a top prospects list. That's something we do separately. Um, What was interesting was that I thought that the process, which was kind of the same that we used for the top prospects, uh, we each submitted our own list, and then that went into a weighted system that Bob put together to produce the final list. Um, kind of showed the same results where we agreed on a lot of the big picture stuff, but then there were some 
differences as you move down the list. And we'll talk about the final list as well as some of the players that didn't make the cut. And if you want to refer to the list either while you're watching this on a live stream or while you're listening to the audio version of this, it's up on BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com now with reports written by Nick. And we'll start off with catcher. No surprise here, Adley Rutzman was chosen as a catcher on our all-star team. Not only is he the best prospect in all of minor league baseball, but he had an excellent 2021 season between the Bowie Bay Sox and the Norfolk Tides. And I'll start with Nick here. Um, while we do like some of the other catching prospects in the Orioles system, there was really no contest here, was there? No, not at all. I mean, he had about double uh, the number of at-bats as number two on the list Brett Cumberland did when you look at the overall leaderboards. And, I mean, he's a top prospect in baseball for a reason. Uh, and so we we do like a lot of the other catchers in the system, Maverick Hanley, and uh, you know, we talk about Ramon Rodriguez probably a little bit later in the show, Samuel Basalo. We like a lot of these guys, but um, a lot of them are defensive catchers. So, you know, the offensive stats aren't around yet. But Adley Rutschman, 25 doubles, 23 home runs, an OPS of, I uh, forget what it was, his overall OPS for the year was... Uh, right around 900, wasn't it? Yeah, 899. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, nothing you could argue there. It was a stone-cold block pick there. Yeah, it was unquestionable. You know, maybe he bats a little bit better from the right-handed side. That's the only nitpick I could say, but he's still got an OPS over 800 from the left-handed side. And and he's... He's the number one prospect for a reason, as Zach said, and he he proved it statistically. And yeah, there's really not much more we can say about Adley Rutschman. He's just he's the man. Let's get him up to the big leagues. Let's let's graduate him onto a a good a good roster instead of just having a good uh, prospect. Well, and you know the offense is the easy thing for us to quantify because we have a lot more data available to us than we do on defense. But everything that we saw on defense for him this year backs up everything you've heard, which is that he's such an advanced catcher behind the plate, not just with blocking balls in the dirt and throwing out base runners, which he does very well, but with calling the game, this is someone who already is a good catcher on both sides of the ball. Yeah. It just seems like he makes his pitchers better, which is, I would think the number one asset you want in a catcher, you know, you want that rapport. You want the, it's not like with the Braves, they had Javi Lopez was could mash the ball, but it seemed like the pitchers never wanted to throw to him. Uh, Greg Maddox always had his personal catcher, so it looks like Adley could be Javi Lopez and I'm trying to remember one of the backup Braves catchers, but uh, and a personal catcher for everybody. It's sort of a fusion of uh, Javi Lopez and Eddie Perez, I think, was Maddox's personal catcher for a lot of there years. There you go. There you go. So we'll move over to the infield now where we did have some close calls, but in the end, I think we put together a pretty solid infield at first base is JD Bundy who emerged with a big 2021 season between Delmarva and Aberdeen after being chosen as an undrafted free agent in 2020. He's a guy that undoubtedly would have been drafted had there been a longer draft in 2020, but the Orioles were able to get him as a free agent and he came through as a big year at second base, Taryn Vavra, the guy who was seen as the centerpiece of the Michael Gibbons return uh, from the Rockies at, in 2020 he came through with good numbers of Bowie despite missing significant chunks of time due to injury. At shortstop, this probably doesn't come down as too much of a surprise. Jordan Westberg gets the nod there after a big professional debut in 2021. Uh, right there in the 2020 draft class with Westberg was Kobe Mayo, who was selected as our third baseman. And then Gunnar Henderson ends up as the DH. So just to address that right away, we did not leave Gunnar off. He ended up at D8s as a matter of voting. 
although not all three of us had him at DH, which I'll get into in a moment. But we'll start with Monday here. Uh, only appeared in 72 games, but finishes with 15 homers, a 925 OPS. Actually was promoted to Bowie, but it never appeared there because of his injury. So I'll start with you uh, on this one, Bob. Monday only appears in 72 games, but I think the results speak for themselves. Was there any hesitation for you to not go with Monday just, you know, because of the limited time? Honestly, not really. I mean, like we've talked about that first base is kind of like a rising position now in this uh, iteration of the Orioles minor leagues because you got T.T. Bowens, you got J.C. Ascara, but Andrew Dosbrock, Tyler Nevin, but J.D. Mundy, he mashed. When he was playing, he mashed. He had a 145 WRC plus, you know, total. And it just, if he would have stayed healthy, it would have, might have been up there with uh, Rutschman and Stowers for minor league player of the year. I doubt it, but, you know, he would have been able to put up those type of numbers. So for me, it was pretty easy choice. And one of the biggest surprises in the system coming into this year, I would not have thought he would end up on a list like this. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, as a Virginia guy, it's pretty cool to see a, a Radford kid come up here and make so much noise. But um, this was a little bit of a tough decision for me just because I think I initially had Doshbach as my first baseman. 16 home runs, 19 doubles, pretty good numbers overall. But, you know, he had the high number of strikeouts. And so, and then Toby, Toby Welk and JC Ascara kind of had the low batting averages. But JD Mundy, I felt like, was just consistent overall. I almost thought about Jacob Teeter as well. That was a difficult, uh, for me at least, like how do we compare the the DSL guys and the GSL guys with their limited amount of time? Teeter definitely had a great season in Delmarva, but I ultimately went with Monday too. I think he had the highest you know, WRC plus and OPS in the minor league system. Uh, fewer at bats, a little fewer, about 100, so fewer at bats than everybody else, but still uh, dominant numbers. And uh, the only other name that I think could really – Give him a run for his money here was T.T. Bowens. That was a tough name to leave off leave off the list, I think, in my opinion. Yeah, I gave Dasbach and Bowens both a close look. Bowens was really number two for me behind Mundy, but I just thought that Mundy was the most complete hitter of that trio and that had he played a full season or closer to a full season, the numbers would have reflected that. So it, it was a tough call because, as Bob said, we have saw – a lot of first base prospects raised their stocks this past season, but I didn't feel like any of them came that close to Monday in terms of overall production. And we have a similar situation at second base. As Taron Vavra gets a nod, despite the fact that injuries limited him to just 48 games this season, 40 of those were spent at Bowie. The other eight were rehab appearances. At Bowie, he only hits 248, but it finishes an 818 OPS, five homers, 10 doubles. Um, walked 29 times against 42 strikeouts, which is a good number. Everything you hear about him, um, when we talked to Ryan Fuller, talked about what a smart baseball player he is. I will admit that I almost went with Connor Norby at second base. Um, I thought that Norby was really impressive after coming out of the 2021 draft, and I didn't think that any of the second basemen that appeared in more games than players like Vavra and Connor Norby were necessarily worthy of that spot. But Vavra, to me, was just, you know, as good as advertised when he was healthy this year. And I honestly believe that had he been healthy, the Orioles probably would have found room for him in Norfolk or he would have just dominated Bowie all year. Yeah, I agree. I I was between him and Norby. And Jemai Jones was kind of knocking on the door there a little bit. If he would have kept up his hot streak that he had in 
June, was it? Then definitely he could have made a case for that. But even though Vavra was injured for maybe half the season, when he was in there, especially to start the year, I mean, there was no one hotter uh, in any of the minor league lineups than Taron Vavra was. I mean, the kid was just smacking singles to the opposite field, mashing doubles into the gaps, pulling some balls over the fence. He's an exciting player, and his numbers dipped a little bit, but I would have to maybe attribute that to the injuries. So, yeah, I think he's an exciting player, and he he performed strong enough in a short sample size to get the nod for me. Yeah, the most exciting thing for me about Vavra is that I think he, based on the numbers and what we saw him in that limited role in Bowie, I think he performed just like the type of player we were all hoping he would be. So that was really awesome to see. Um, I debated this one long and hard. This was the the hardest decision, I think, for me. And I actually spent a lot of time debating between like Jemai Jones and Gene Carmona just because there weren't that many like great options here. Um, I didn't have Vavra on my personal list because of the time he missed, but I ended up going with Frederick Bencosme, a guy that Zach pointed out in one of our, I think last week on our final uh, kind of under the radar segment, 18 year old down in the, in the Dominican summer league, two home runs, six doubles, four triples, three ten average, 10 stolen bases in 44 games. I just felt like comparatively speaking, you know, 44 games in the DSL, he played a full season. One of the better offensive performers in the DSL this year, at least statistically, uh, obviously we don't have video or anything to, to back that up, but I like those numbers there. So I went Ben Cosme, but can't argue against Taron Vavra. When he was in the lineup, like you guys said, he he was a really solid hitter, and I'm very excited to watch him play, hopefully in the major league level next year. Yeah, I thought Ben Cosme was actually a pretty interesting pick because, like you said, Nick, um, so there's a lot of promise from the left side as an infielder. I'm really curious to see what he does as a Florida Complex League next year. He feels like he could be one of those guys, that young, athletic, up-the-middle uh, player who can hit might be a guy that rises pretty quickly um, when he starts playing at higher levels. So we'll go over to third base now where Kobe Mayo ends up getting the nod. In 53 games this season between the Florida Complex League and Delmarva, Mayo hit 319 with a 981 OPS, belted nine home runs uh, with 29 walks to 40 strikeouts. And here's something interesting that I did not realize until right now because I was not paying attention to this during the season. He went 11 for 11 in stolen base attempts. Uh, sort of a random number to throw out there, but tells you that he's got some speed and that athleticism for me was reflected in the way that he played third base this year. Got 27 games there between the two levels. Actually, he got 27 there at Delmarva. He got more of the Florida Complex League. But if you saw him play third base at all, you know that the arm strength and the footwork are pretty good. And that after, at least for me, after seeing him this year, I became convinced that he could stick at third base long-term, despite already being 6'5", 215 pounds at 19 years of age. Mayo narrowly missed my list, which I'll get into in a minute. But I'll start with Nick here. Um, We were all excited for Mayo this year, but I don't think our expectations were quite this high. No, I mean, I think I know Stephen Loftus had me excited, uh, super excited about Kobe Mayo coming into the year or right after the draft uh, when he said, you know, this could be the guy that Orioles fans look back at 10 years from now and say, that's exactly why we went Heston Kershaw with the number and overall pick, because we wanted Kobe Mayo at the end of the day. Um, the numbers are just fantastic in that small sample size. Yeah, the stolen base numbers were pretty cool. I did throw that in the article as well, just because I thought it was fascinating. Uh, but again, lower levels of the minor leagues were kind of like a, I heard him described as like a track meet down there because, you know, it's 
the different rules and such <clears throat> that were uh, rule changes that happened in the lower levels of the minor leagues, but still not taking anything away from Kobe Mayo there. The numbers are fantastic in that small sample size, 19 years old, and he really didn't strike out too much either, uh, which was impressive. I mean, comparatively speaking, he had a pretty high strikeout rate, I think, compared to some of the other guys in Delmarva and some of those draft picks. But uh, those were like astronomically low strikeout rates to try to compare to. So a good season for Kobe Mayo, good debut, and uh, very, very excited to see this guy, how how fast or how high he climbs next year in the minor league system. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, the walk numbers, the strikeout numbers, they're actually pretty refined, pretty polished for a young kid like him that's a big power hitter. If he gets off to a hot start in Aberdeen next year, watch out. I mean, this guy could be in Bowie by July. So at what, 20 years old, 21 years old. So pretty awesome. Yeah, this was tough for me. It was between him and Gunnar Henderson. But I just think if he would have, you know, performed the way he did in the FCL and came up and was just average to pedestrian in low way but no he came up and played just as good if not better against the better competition so I, I just had to put him in there with his 162 wrc plus so we'll move over to shortstop now and this was a position where i think there was some <laughs> tough competition but still not much of a surprise who ends up as a starting knot at shortstop and that's jordan westberg ended up playing at three levels starting at delmarva this season and across the board appeared 112 games with 285 average 868 ops and showing that power-speed combo that many hoped that he could show once he got into the minors as he belts 15 home runs while stealing 17 bases in 22 attempts. And the interesting thing for me about Westberg was that he overcame slow starts twice. The first was after he went to Aberdeen, and then the second was after he went to Bowie as he was really heating up towards the end of the season at Bowie, and I think was a big reason why the Bay Sox were able to get over that hump on the final day of the season and clinch a spot in the AA Northeast Championship Series. And while, as I mentioned, there were several good options at shortstop, we could have gone with Gunnar Henderson. Joey Ortiz, if we had had a half-season list, might have had the spot knocked uh, locked down. Daryl Hernaiz, I think, may have even had an interesting argument for there. This ended up being unanimous. All three of us had Westberg as shortstop. Um so, Bob, I know that there is a lot of good things to say about Westberg, but um, what what were your thoughts on his season? I mean, what's not to like? I mean, the guy has power to all fields. Maybe not big power, but he's got that line drive power that can just carry over the fence. And he's got to be Matt Blood's favorite player because, you know, he loves the guy that struggles right away and then adjusts and, and, and mashes after that. And that's exactly what Westberg does. Hopefully, you know, we'll keep that in mind next year when, when he's getting started in AAA and maybe he doesn't you know, bash the door right away. And even when he makes his major league debut, just be patient with him because he's, he's a guy that learns on the fly and he adjusts well. So that was the thing I think we learned the most about. It wasn't that he just feasted upon the uh, no spin low A league as Kyle Glazer put it. So he, he came up and he performed well against better competition too. And while he should, because he's a college guy, it's still better to go out and do it than, than not. Yeah. The thing for, <clears throat> the thing for me here when deciding the final list was, yeah, I definitely had Kobe May at third base. That was his primary position. Uh, when going with shortstop, uh, I Westberg was the, deci- the the deciding factor, if I can get it out there. The deciding factor for me was defense, actually. To be honest, I felt Westberg's defense at shortstop was a lot better, more refined at least. So that's why I went with Westberg at shortstop. And then when I was looking at it, I didn't actually even know if we were doing DH or not. I did this like 1230 in the morning one night earlier this week. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a DH spot because we cannot leave Gunnar Henderson 
off this list. And I really wanted Kobe Mayo on this list as well. Uh, so that's why I had Gunnar Henderson at shortstop. But it was just the defense that separated it for me when it came to Westberg. But <clears throat> the most impressive thing offensively that I enjoyed from Westberg this season was that power because we didn't really know what to expect from him. And he had 15 home runs and 27 doubles across three levels. So you definitely love to see that from a draft pick. And 2020 draft pick, I wrote this in the article, you know, Servideo got hurt. Uh, Carter Bomber had the Tommy John surgery. Cursed dad, obviously the myocarditis. So we didn't really get to see much, any of the 2020 draft class uh, up to this point. So it was good to see Westberg find some early success. And even Mayo didn't get started until what, late June? So. Yeah. You know, Westberg, I, I agree with you, Nick. I think that if you want to separate Westberg and Henderson right now, at this point in time, Westberg's defense is better. You might give Henderson an advantage in terms of arm strength, but I think in just about every other area, Westberg is the better shortstop. And I think that while the Orioles have to find ways to get both of them at bats when they're on the same team, which hopefully they will be for years to come, and you want to give both players some element of versatility, my sense after this season is that the Orioles can try to develop Jordan Westberg at shortstop for as long as they want to. You know, if they want to bring him to the big leagues as a shortstop and stick him there for a while, they can. Or, you know, if they find that once he's healthy, Joey Ortiz is a better fit there, they can move Westberg over to third. But I think either way, this is a guy that is going to settle somewhere in the infield and has the profile right now of a possible 2020 threat at his peak because we heard a lot about his raw power coming out of Mississippi State. But the question was, can he put that into game action? And he did that across three levels this year and did it, you know, spending a lot of his time in Aberdeen, which the numbers showed over the 2021 season was a pitcher's park. And Westberg was still putting up good numbers there. Yeah, that's and a good point. Okay. I was going to say, when he got promoted to Bowie, the, the talk was he was going to be the primary shortstop at Bowie, even though they had so many middle infield guys, um, even though they were kind of decimated with the injuries uh, at Bowie all year up the middle. But they still had a number of middle infield guys on that roster going into the playoffs. But they said, no, Westberg's the primary shortstop there. And like Zach mentioned, looking at next year, I mean, does Mason McCoy return to the organization next year? I don't know if he's a minor league free agent at this point or not, uh, but Caden Grenier obviously ended the year in AAA. They had no issues, it seemed like, moving him over to second base to finish out the year. So I think I wouldn't be shocked if we saw Westberg maybe with a good spring training, maybe as the starting shortstop for Norfolk next year. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And to give people a perspective on Westberg, for me, it like, the way he hits the ball, it kind of reminds me of Austin Hayes. He's aggressive, and he just lines things all over the place, except he can take a walk. He'll probably have a double the walk rate that Austin Hayes has, so that's good. Yeah, so we'll go now to the designated hitter, and it's someone who actually spent a lot of this year on the left side of the infield with Westbrook, and that's Gunnar Henderson, who coming into this season was sort of a borderline top 100 prospect. He was one of those players that a lot of big outlets mentioned as – you know, someone who received consideration but ultimately didn't make the top 100. Uh, very quickly, he flipped that to a consensus top 100 prospect thanks to a really strong 35-game stretch at Delmarva where he hit eight homers at a 944 OPS. He ended up playing at Aberdeen and Bowie before the season was over. Didn't hit quite as well as those two levels, but much like with Westberg, um, Henderson got off to a really slow start at Aberdeen before – catching fire. And the one thing that was great about him all year was that he managed to draw walks even when he was in a slump. And that no doubt contributed to his 350 on base percentage, 
across the board in 105 games, he had 17 homers with a 258 average and an 826 OPS while spending time at both shortstop, third base, and DH, which is where he lands on our all-star team. Um, obviously, for a guy that's not even 21 years old yet, and this was his first full season in pro ball, this was impressive to see what he did. But, Bob, can you kind of give us a sense of maybe above the stat line why Westberg, or excuse me, Henderson, is regarded as such a good prospect? I think it's just his swing. It's freaking, it's a nice swing. It's a, he's got fast bat speed. You can see, just feel the confidence radiating, radiating off of him. He's not like a cocky kid, but he's like, he just, he knows how good he is and he's going out there and doing it and it shows. And yeah, it's just got a nice swing from the left side. He hits the ball to all fields. I think I was looking at his spray chart. He goes 33% opposite field, like 38% pool side and 25% up the middle. So he can hit it anywhere. Power is mostly opposite field right now, but he can turn on a ball. Yeah, I mean, and he's he'll be 20 years old at the start of next season too. He won't turn 21 until I think July. So, yeah, it's it's good to keep that in mind. His age compared to where he is at his level, and it's very impressive. Yes, but Michael Elias doesn't promote prospects. He, he slow plays this whole thing. Like, no, 20 years old. That's it. That's what makes this guy so special. He's four years younger than the rest of the competition at Double A. And I mean, yeah, the strikeouts were ginormous. Like, there's no denying that. But when you watch this guy, like he knows the strike zone for a guy that strikes out a lot. He knows exactly where that ball is. He knows exactly what the strike zone is. Uh, so I think with age, like he's going to turn things around and he's going to find that, uh, you know, being so much younger than everybody. We had Spencer Torkelson on the latest uh, MLB pipeline podcast. I know I probably shouldn't like mention that as like Orioles fans. They're like the, the no, no guys right now because the whole Ryan Mountcastle debacle. But um you know, they had Spencer Torkelson on there and he's like, look, t- describing what he had to adjust to at the upper levels of the minor leagues. And you have a guy like Spencer Torkelson up there saying, yeah, I struggled when I first got this promotion. And this is what makes the pitchers at the older levels so much better. I think that makes what Pat or Gunnar Henderson did at the age of 20 uh, even more impressive, in my opinion. So uh, very special prospect that I think we're going to be hearing a whole lot about uh, next season. And one thing that I um, I noticed when I was doing some research, as you'll hear about on our daily player recaps later in this week when I do my Gunnar Henderson one, uh, he really he mashed right-handed pitching at all levels. Like his big weakness right now, I think, is hitting left against lefties. He batted 195 in Delmarva against lefties and 194 against lefties in Aberdeen. He batted 360 and like 260 against righties comparatively. So. Something to keep an eye on, short sample size, obviously. And I don't know how, you know, I haven't really followed enough players as they're coming up at that young age. Is like, how long does it take before you really start to hit your, you know, same side pitching better? But just something to watch out for. I do want to mention this because it's current right now with the Dodgers in the playoffs. They'll be playing game five of the NLDS against the Giants on Thursday. The constant player comp that gets thrown out for Gunnar Henderson when someone's looking at what's this guy's ceiling is Corey Seager. I'm not a huge fan of player comps, but when I watch Seager swing and when I watch Gunnar Henderson swing, I see some real similarities. And it's also that there are tall guys who hit from the left side. Seager has managed to stick at shortstop in the major leagues. Henderson, I think, will stick somewhere on the left side of the infield. So what do you guys think about that? Is that actually... Maybe not necessarily a valid comp, but that you can kind of look at those two and see the similarities. I think so. 
I mean, I, my thought was when he when Corey Seager becomes a Yankee and we have Gunnar Henderson coming up, like it won't even matter that they got Corey Seager because we'll have our own Corey Seager over here who's even younger and better. So, yeah, I can definitely see where people are coming from with that comparison. Yeah, he's a big kid. I think uh, Seager's probably a better defensive shortstop in the long run because I don't really know if Henderson would be able to stick there. He's he's a little bit uh, mechanical at shortstop to me, so. We'll see. Maybe he's still going to improve there. He's only 20 years old. So I think he'll definitely be at least be a really solid third baseman. Maybe to Kyle Seeger is the real uh, comparison. So I will mention here that the one area where I differed in the infield um, with Henderson and Westbrook is I had Henderson as my third baseman with Patrick Dorian as my DH. Dorian, um, you know, if you were putting together a top prospects list, would certainly not be ranked ahead of Mayo, Westbrook, or Henderson. But the reason I had him on my roster and not Mayo was a Dorian full season was really one of the best power hitters in a farm system. Had a lot of good power hitters this year, 22 homers and 815 OPS. And while he was 25 at double a, we're also looking at a guy that did not have a lot of professional experience coming into the 2021 season, just one full season in the minor leagues prior to that, which was back in 2019. So I went with Dorian, but I can't disagree with the logic of putting Mayo on there. Yeah, I really wanted to find a way to get Dorian on the list. If we were doing filling out a bench, he definitely would be on there. But I just couldn't justify it over Mayo and, and all those guys. So I'm glad you at least gave him a shout out there. Yeah, that was a tough one for me to leave off too because I absolutely loved the Patrick Dorian story this year. I loved watching him play all year long. Uh, it was really great that the Orioles gave him an opportunity to get a couple at-bats at AAA to close out the year as well. 20, 22 home runs, 21 doubles. I mean, fantastic numbers. Um, the only thing that, that knocked him down a little bit for me was the 242 average. Like, I saw that. And when you compare, like, what Kobe Mayo did and and what Westberg did, it was hard for me to put Dorian on the list. But we definitely, you know, it was great that we can't, you know, we can't just keep moving on without mentioning Patrick Dorian's fantastic season in Bowie. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll now move on to the outfield where three players with breakout seasons get the nod, and that is Kyle Stowers, who shared organizational player of the year honors with Adley Rutzman after hitting 27 home runs between Aberdeen, Bowie, and Norfolk. Joining him in the outfielder, Zach Watson, the surprise 2020 center fielder who had a big first uh, full season in the minor leagues, and Robert Newstrom, who emerged basically as the highlight reel home run hitter in the Orioles farm system. But aside from those highlights was just a good power hitter throughout the season between Bowie and Norfolk. So I know we're going to talk about Stowers a little bit more later on when we talk Arizona fall league, but I do want to start with him because this is a guy that maybe had the best season overall of any Orioles hitter, 27 homers, 23 doubles and 893 or an 898 OPS you know, strikeouts were a concern, which, you know, is something we knew coming in with Stowers, but he also drew 73 walks. So this is a guy that can take his fair share of walks, hit for a good average this year. So I'll start with uh, Nick on this one. We knew that Stowers could hit a little bit coming into this year, but I don't think we quite saw this type of reduction coming. And not only that, but I think the three of us probably feel that it is sustainable, at least in some way going forward. Would you agree? I, no doubt. I think it's uh, pretty sustainable progress we saw from Stowers, only because for me, what cements that thought is that when he got moved up to AAA, 
yeah, the power wasn't necessarily there, but like the overall game I felt like was more so there with Kyle Stowers. Uh, more singles, more doubles, more line drives. So that's what I liked. Um, you know, he led all Orioles minor league hitters with 27 home runs. He had 23 doubles on top of that. Yeah, the strikeouts were enormous, but I really love that uh, Rock Cabaco had that mailbag article over the weekend and someone asked about the strikeouts. Like, should we be concerned? Are the Orioles concerned? And Rock said, absolutely not. Like, this guy hits the ball extremely hard. He's a great hitter. And he hit 278 for the year. Like, I was not expecting that. I could see him hitting 20 plus home runs a year pretty easily, but I did not expect him to hit 278 and walk 73 times in 124 games. Uh, so that's what makes me think Kyle Stowers is the truth. And with a hot Arizona Fall League, keep the good momentum going and he can roll right in spring training and maybe, maybe take an outfield job next year at the major league level. I know that's that's best case scenario. That's being pretty optimistic there. But at least Kyle Stowers would enter 2022 as one of the hottest names, I think, in this entire system. Yeah, I think he has probably the best in-game power of anyone in the system. I mean, the ball just flies off his bat. And maybe he only hits like 260, 270 at the major league level. But as long as he can continue to work on that plate discipline, take the walks, who cares if he strikes out? If he's if he's hitting for a decent average, he's walking, he's hitting for power. What more could you ask for? And he plays a good outfield. So he's really close to a five-tool player. So shout out to him. So another outfielder in this list is another lefty with good power, and that's Newstrom. Hit 16 home runs this season with a 790 OPS between Norfolk and Bowie. He actually hit more home runs at Norfolk than he did at Bowie um, in just about the same amount of games. Nine homers in 64 games at AAA level compared to seven in 62 games at AA. This was a guy who was solid in 2019 between three levels, but had also missed a lot, some time with injuries, seemed to be getting lost in the shuffle a little bit as the Orioles outfield depth improved leading up to the 2021 season yet i think he now goes into the offseason as a guy that you could legitimately look at as a possible 40-man roster addition even with a little bit of a slump to end the year in triple a which outside of better information i would just attribute to it being a long season career high of 126 games but um i'll go with bob on this one i don't know that any of us saw this type of year from news from coming and it was just impressive. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And especially after the way he started his first month, if you cut that out and then maybe the last week or two of the season, his numbers are like right up there with anybody. So obviously you can't do that. A season is a season. But just it felt like he, you know, coming off of some injury-ridden seasons and missed 2020, it took him a little bit of time to get into a groove. But once he did, I mean, the power is just tenacious. It's freaking – it's monster moonshots – like 480 feet or whatever. So watch out warehouse. But yeah, I think maybe he just got tired out at the end of the season or let's just, I mean, it was a slump. I mean, he batted zero fifty. Oh, 50, he batted 50 over uh, the last week of the season. It happens, but the he, I wanted to definitely get him on this list just because, you know, it's a good story of a guy who was never really a big prospect at all, but came from a college and was a good hitter in college. And, and has just had some injuries that he's dealt with and finally putting it all together here and making it to AAA and probably going to make it to the majors next year. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I think he might have been a back-end top 30 guy early early in his career, right after the Orioles drafted him, and that was when this farm system was pretty weak. I mean, so that kind of describes uh, what type of prospect, 
Prospect Newsroom was. And I remember Paul Fritschner, one of the voices of the Bowie Bay Sox. Uh, shout out to Paul and Adam Pohl over there in Bowie. Um, I know Paul was talking about how Newsroom went up to him and was saying, like, I feel the power coming. This is coming. It's going to I'm going to break out eventually. And when I do, like, it's over. And then it was like a week later, I think, is when he hit that monster bomb in uh, Hartford, which Orioles players had some phenomenal performances in Hartford. Like, I'm fine if if any affiliates like we want a new affiliate in Hartford because I will gladly watch these guys play at that stadium. Um, but I think that was kind of his breakout moment. And from then on, it was a lot of home runs. The right field wall at Harbor Park, it's pretty hard to hit home runs in right field at Harbor Park because there's just that wind always coming in off the water over there. And I mean, guys like Newstrom and Stowers and Rutschman made it look easy. Like get, they're hitting balls out at, uh, at Frederick uh, back. You know, I know that was kind of a, a hitter's park down there. And I mean, Newstrom was a great story. And I kind of was thinking about it like next year, like if you want to keep Stowers in AAA for a little bit longer, I get that. I understand that. This is a guy who I could see slow playing just a little bit, make sure he's completely refined before you bring him up to the, the major leagues. But, like, I don't want DJ Stewart on this roster next year. Uh, Santander is is up in the air. I don't know if do you want to pay him, do you want to trade him, what happens there. Like, Newstrom is a guy who I could see making the roster next year as a fourth, fifth outfielder uh, and giving him an opportunity. Hey, let's see what you got through the first month or two of the season. And if he's got it, great. And if if not, you, you bring up Stowers at that point. Yeah, I think my favorite home run of his was the inside the park home run where the guy fell through the gate. So <laughs> he's got speed, too. That was a bizarre play. That was down on Gwinnett. I remember that. The right fielder jumps for the ball. Looks like he has it in his glove, but then opens the bullpen gate when he jumps into it. Falls to the ground. The ball comes out of his glove. And then Neustrom ends up with an inside-the-park home run. That that yeah. was a bizarre play, but definitely one of the best of the 2021 season for me. And that was memorable because that happened while we were in the press box and Billy together. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Yep. So one of the players we saw that day in Bowie was Zach Watson, who, as I mentioned when I was introducing the outfielders, came through with probably one of the more surprising seasons in the farm system because, as Nick wrote in his report, some of the com- common uh, things we heard about Zach Watson coming into 2021, tweener, speedy fourth outfielder type, light-hitting defensive outfielder. Well, he goes on to hit 21 home runs and 42 extra base hits overall while stealing 24 bases and playing a great center field night in and night out. Um, there were some things in there, like low walk rate, which we've talked about before, ended up as a 248 average, but everything else, when you look at Watson, I, for me, he was a clear choice in center field. Um, Nick, what were your thoughts on his season? I did not see that coming at all. Uh, the 21 home runs, at least. Uh, really great season. I mean, the walk rate and low average have always been an issue all season for me. Like, he climbed pretty significantly up our top 50 list. But, like, what's really holding me back is that low average and low walk rate. But, like, going into 2022, I do feel confident in this player development system that maybe this was just a season of, like, all right, just mash the baseball. Like, hit this thing as hard as you can. Let's get those high exit velocities get you comfortable in that batter's box. And then, you know, with Ryan, Ryan Mountcastle's progression, I know I've mentioned that a lot, you know, this guy who's never going to walk a lot and all that stuff, but Ryan Mountcastle did show a real progression at the end of the season. Uh, and so like that gives me hope with a guy like Zach Watson with now he probably starts next year, maybe back in double a, we'll see how the outfield situation shakes out, but this is a guy who's going to start in double a definitely playing triple a next season. Uh, maybe next year you start working on the plate discipline a little bit more now that he's comfortable with the plate and he knows he can hit those home runs. Uh, 
I know he said in interviews that like that power's always been there. Like that's nothing new for him, but we haven't seen it yet. Uh, so now we've seen it and it was great. And Zach Watson is now just one of, I don't know, 15 outfield prospects that we can get excited about, like legitimately excited about, which is going to be pretty cool to watch unfold over the next couple of years. Yeah. I don't think he's ever going to hit much above 250, 255, but if he can just get that walk rate up just a little bit, maybe to doesn't have to be above average, but just, just a little bit where it can play better. He's got the defense. He's got obviously the surprising power. So he didn't make it on my list, but he was definitely right off of it. So great season for him. Hopefully you can keep going next year. That is actually a good um, segue here, Bob, because Nick and I, I believe, had the same outfield across the board. But you uh, gave a shout out to two good prospects, one of which just narrowly missed my list. And that was Hudson Haskin, who I thought had a really good season between Delmarva and Aberdeen before uh, getting hurt during the summer and missing the rest of the year. And then Colton Kowser, the Orioles' first-round pick, who pretty much uh, lived up to the first-round billing between the Florida Complex League and Delmarva. Maybe the only you know complaint you can come away with that from is that uh, he was facing pitchers that were not up to his competition level. But for a guy coming into pro ball, it was a great way to ease in and get started. Yeah, it was just so above. <laughs> it was like 173 WRC+. Plus, so I was like... I got to give him a shout out here, but I'm, I'm actually glad he didn't make the list. You know, he's a top prospect. We'll talk about him plenty going forward. So I'm glad Watson made it over him, but oh, Hudson Haskin. Yeah. He ended the year on the injured list, but I just thought he was pretty underrated. He was pretty solid and consistent all season. He showed a little bit of pop, some average stolen bases, great defense. So I think he's a guy that people are sleeping on. Maybe could break out a little bit next year. I could definitely see that. Uh, I think Hudson Haskin, a lot like Taryn Vavra, Hudson Haskin performed like I was hoping he would perform this year. Uh, and so we finally got a better idea of what type of prospect he is, uh, which is a pretty good one. And there's no need to tinker with that unorthodox swing and, and everything that he has. Um, both good good options. I almost thought about, uh, as well, Christopher Cespedes, uh, 15 home runs, 24 doubles. Again, a, a guy who was kind of old when the Orioles drafted him in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft like two years ago. And spent years in uh, rookie ball, like Dominican Summer League ball in the Indians organization. This was a very old prospect uh, who the Orioles grabbed. And then he didn't play for like almost two years. And then had a, a really great season and finished in high A where he hit even better. Him and T.T. Bowens just mashed baseballs in Aberdeen. Uh, and he got rewarded with a new contract for next year. So that was a shout out to Christopher Cespedes as well. Completely agree. Cespedes, I think, was one of the best stories. Uh, you know, we were talking earlier about how Dorian was just a great, Patrick Dorian was just a great story this year. I think you could say the same with Christopher Cespedes. And when I saw the news that he was coming back for, that he's coming back for next season, I was thrilled. Um, good power, high exit velocities. Interested to see what he does next year. We'll go over the pitching staff now. And this might shock you, but we did include Grayson Rodriguez on our list. Uh, there, you know, Best pitching prospect in all of minor league baseball. Lived up to that billing in more ways than one this season. And if you are a Patreon subscriber, you may have heard the segment that I did on Grayson Rodriguez as part of our year-end recaps. And I made a case in there, and this is something we're going to have a lot of time to talk about, that Grayson Rodriguez probably will be one of the best starting pitchers in camp next year. And that, you know, if service time manipulation is somehow limited in the collective bargaining agreement process, He's got to have an earnest shot to earn a, a rotation spot. But for now, just celebrate the fact that this guy went 9-1 and one with a 2-3-6 ERA with 161 strikeouts 
in 103 innings pits, most of which came at double A. There's really nothing else, I guess, to say about Rodriguez other than that he's great. <laughs> yeah, he struck out more than 40% of the batters he faced. So, like, come on now. It's unfair to, to any of the hitters. I mean, we heard rumors that maybe they were selling gas cans in Norfolk, and if they would have, I think he would have done much of the same up there. I just think he is as close to Major League ready as you could be. He's pretty polished. Maybe I, I talk about – I'm going to talk about this in tomorrow's uh, daily season recap of D.L. Hall, but he might have the better stuff, actually than Grayson Rodriguez, but Grayson is just so polished. He's got such command of all of his pitches, and he, he just knows how to pitch, and he's got that the great mentality and just a great rapport with Adley Rutschman. I'm excited to see them work together again next season. The only pitcher in full-season affiliate ball, qualified pitcher, to have a strikeout rate over 40%. I mean, so, yeah, super polished pitching prospect, although I, I could see the Orioles keeping him in AAA to start the year. Uh, if unless he's like spot on perfect in spring training, I could see them saying, "Hey, go down for a couple of starts." Like forgetting forgetting about service time issues right now because that's something that we can't predict what's going to happen. But I mentioned when I did the Ali Rutschman episode that like I could see them starting Grayson Rodriguez in AAA just to give him a couple of extra starts, let him settle in, get in nice and slow. Maybe let Adley have his time at the major league level. Let us enjoy that for a little bit at Camden Yards before bringing Grayson up and making a big show out of that. But no doubt next year, like. I mean, that's, yeah, this season was trash. Like, that was garbage at the major league level. But, like, you sit and really think about it. Like, you get this moment where it's like, next season, yeah, we may still not be great, but, like, you're going to see Grayson Rodriguez and Adley Rutschman at the major league level. No questions about that. And that that should be exciting for Orioles fans. Yeah, we're going to see a lot of exciting debuts. You know, Adley, Grayson, Stowers, Bradish, a lot of guys from the top 10, top 15, so... It's not going to be the same. I already made a $20 bet with someone that we're not going to lose 100 games next year, so they better live up to it. So uh, we have a total of 10 pitchers on the list, so I'm going to run through them kind of in groups. And since Bob mentioned him, uh, Kyle Bradis was one of the former Angels prospects that made our list. Um, he is on there along with Kyle Bronovitz and Zach Peek. Three of those, those three pitchers came over from the Angels in the Dylan Bundy trade. And then Gene Pinto the fastest rising on the verge favorite pitching prospects for the summer of 2021, who was part of the Jose Iglesias trade last winter makes the list as well. Uh, Bradis started out dominant at double a buoy went up to Norfolk and had some ups and downs there, but ended the season with a really strong September. It was great to see him uh, pitch through some of his struggles there and end the year in pretty dominant shape. Uh, Kyle Bronovich, Really good command between Aberdeen and Bowie. And if you have seen the GIF that Fangraphs tweeted out recently, you know that his knuckle curveball is a sight to behold. And Zach Peake, um, who was one of those guys we were interested in coming into this year but didn't know much about, ended up turning in a great season between Delmarva and Aberdeen and actually seemed to be getting better as the year went on, uh, even after the promotion to high A. And much like Peake, Gene Pinto seemed to get better as the year went on earning a promotion from the Florida Complex League to Delmarva. So those are four of the 10 pitchers on our list, Bradis, Bronovitz, Peak, and Pinto. I'll just start with Nick here. I know that you've written about the group of prospects that the Orioles have acquired from the Angels, including some of the players that are not in that camp, uh, that are, are not on our list, like Jemai Jones, Garrett Stallings, Isaac Matson. What stands out to you about these guys, though? 
that the guys who we consider the throw-ins, the lottery tickets, uh, are the studs of these deals. I mean, four guys made this list, our all-star team. Take that for what it's worth. All four former Angels, as Vivek commented there. You look at the Orioles' strikeout leaderboard. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez obviously was number one, but then it was Kyle Bradish number two, Kyle Bronovich at number three, Zach Beek at number four. Those three guys were three of the top four strikeout artists in this system. Uh, clearly, the Orioles did their homework when researching these guys. They got them for basically nothing. I mean, I don't know what Dylan Bundy's done, but I never heard anything from Dylan Bundy after he threw up on the back of the mound. Like that was <laughs> that was it for Dylan Bundy. I love Dylan, uh, and I, I hope he can finish his, uh, his career on a high note. But like, the Orioles didn't really trade much of anything to get these four guys, and they haven't proved it at the major league level yet. I get that, but like, when we win the World Series ring, like, we need to send a ring over to the Angels. Uh, I don't know. Was, was I don't know which GM? I know they had that change. I don't know which GM was in charge over there when they made all these deals. But uh, he deserves an Orioles ring uh, when we win this World <laughs> Series because this is fantastic to watch the success these four guys had. Yeah, totally. I mean, Michael Elias knows how to make a trade. He knows how to evaluate talent that he wants to acquire. So for all the people scared that he won't trade for pitching or a big piece at a deadline at some point, obviously he knows <laughs> what to trade for. These guys are amazing. They come out and they have great stuff. It makes you wonder what the heck are the Angels thinking trading these guys, especially four of them for Dylan Bundy. I mean, come on. And Gene Pinto, we, we've been on his bandwagon. We're the leaders of that bus. Get on at any point. You know, we're here all day. So... I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Pinto Pinto does have a special place in my heart as well because Pinto's promotion from the FCL to uh, Del Marva was like the first news that like we broke that news, even though we got no credit for it whatsoever. Like all the other news we broke this season that we got no credit for. Uh, but like, so he has a special place in my heart for that reason. And to see him succeed is uh, even more awesome. And so, yeah, I am definitely excited about uh, Gene Pinto, probably more so than the rest of these guys, just because, that's not taking anything away from the other guys, but Pinto's ceiling, like I don't even know if we know how high that could be. Yeah. So that's the exciting. Yeah, all four were great this year. And I'm happy that they all made the list and they were all unanimous choices. All three of us had all four of these pitchers on our list. Um, so it was in the end, pretty easy choice for us to include Kyle Bronovitz, Kyle Bradis, Zach Peak, and Gene Pinto on the list. Uh, we'll now go as a group of pitchers that have been in the Orioles system for a while and, you know, in some ways either continued to do what they've done successfully over their careers or came back from either struggles or injuries to pitch well this year. That's Ofelki Peralta, a former top 30 prospect who seemingly was never going to get out of high A Frederick and then bounces back this year with a big season. Michael Ballman, who overcame an injury early on and some struggles when he came back from an injury initially, to be really dominant at AA, pitch well at Norfolk, and make his major league debut in September, and now a guy that I think could go into 2022 as a legitimate option to compete um, for a major league rotation spot. And then also on that list, Drew Rahm, um, who went 11-1 and between Aberdeen and Bowie. As usual with Rahm, good ground ball numbers good strikeouts, not a lot of walks, and pitched well against older competition, uh, which is something he's done going back to his 2019 season at Del Marva. So Drew Rahm, uh, Michael Ballman, and Ofelki Peralta all make our all-star team. Bob, um, just out of those three, did any of them stand out to you more than the others, or um, was there kind of all uh, equal to you in some ways? 
to me, Drew Rahm stood out. I mean, I was, he's like consistently underrated, even by us, I feel like. I mean, he just consistently putting up the numbers. Yeah, he kind of reminds you of a Lothar or Wells as, you know, they're performing as they come up. But those are college guys. I mean, Rahm's out of high school. He's a lot younger than they were doing the same things as they were. So that makes me think a little bit higher than him. And even as late as going into September, I'm like, yeah, he's having a good year. But then the way he finished the year was just amazing. He went, what, 18 or something, 19 straight scoreless innings, then had a scoreless start in the playoffs as well. I think he's out to prove something. Velocity or not, this guy can pitch. And I think he's going to, you know, really, he's going to make it to AAA next year at, what, 22 years old. So that's that's something special. It's something I think we, we really need to recognize, and that's what we're doing with this All-Star team. I completely forgot about that super long scoreless stretch he had. I do remember the playoff outing. I mean, a 21-year-old throwing five scoreless uh, innings in a playoffs is amazing. Uh, Sim contribute ask Rom's K numbers. I have it all right here. Uh, 107 innings pitched, 120 strikeouts, and only 26 walks. Uh, so the guy's like he's methodical out there on the mound. Yeah, he takes he takes a little, he takes his time out there a little bit, but. You can tell he's thinking through each pitch, and he knows exactly what he wants to do and how he wants to attack hitters. I think his maturity out there on the mound is unbelievable. Um, Eleven and one. I know record. I know pitching wins losses don't mean anything, but like th- that's fun to look at at least. Three point one eight ERA. A fantastic year. The guy is just turned twenty one as well. So again, just like Gunnar Henderson, extremely young. Um, Bauman for me was pretty. Uh, I don't think I had Bauman on my list. I can talk about the other two guys I had on my list later on, but I didn't have him on my list, but uh, it was, you could tell, like I got the sense when we had Matt blood on that Bauman, uh, not the yips, but like it, he was not confident in maybe his, his stuff or his health. That's the vibe that I got at least not to put any words in his mouth. Uh, and, but you could tell like, a, like it was like a light switch went off went on with Michael Bauman and he really started to turn it on at in Bowie right before his promotion. And then he pitched really well in AAA before getting promoted to the Orioles where, where I know it wasn't great, but that was his first taste of the big league. So I'm definitely excited again for Michael Bauman going into 2022. Yeah. Great comeback season from him. I mean, if you would have said he's making his major league debut after he's getting shelled a little bit in double A, you know, it was like a light switch, like you said, and that's kind of why I'm not too worried that he struggled a little bit out of the gate at the end of his, his uh, pitch count or, innings count uh, at the end of the year at the major league level. He had a heck of a season, a roller coaster of a season. So give him a, a healthy off season where he can go into spring training, ready to compete for a starting rotation spot. And I think he'll do a lot better. I do want to go back to Rom for a minute. And this is one thing that stands out to me is that, yeah, he's always been a guy that kind of relies on, you know, locating his pitches, getting ground balls as part of his success, but his walk numbers have gradually gotten better. Uh, he walked just over 8% of his uh, batters at Delmarva in 2019. That number was just over 6% at Aberdeen and then at 5.5% in Bowie this year. And if you want to equate that out over to walks per nine innings, he finished at a 3.1 mark in 2019 compared to 2.2 in 2021. One thing we saw with Zach Lothar, and this is something we had noted a lot, was that the walk numbers seemed to get a little bit worse as he went up through the system, whereas ROMs are actually improving. And I think he has better pure stuff than Alexander Wells does. So that, to me, separates ROM a little bit from Lothar and Wells is that his command has stayed consistent, if not gotten a little bit better. And I think his stuff is better than Wells is to begin with. 
Yeah, no doubt there. And I think it was good to see Alex Wells and Zach Lowther in the big leagues this year because, like, for me, I could better get a better sense of guys like Drew Rom in the minor leagues when I'm watching him. And I do agree that Drew Rom uh, has much better stuff than Alex Wells. Uh, and take that for what it's worth because I think Alex Wells might be able to survive a couple of years, maybe at the Orioles bullpen. Uh, we'll see. But I don't think he was terrible at the major league level. Uh, but that's a really great point about the walks. Looking at those now, yeah, to see those walk numbers trend down as he moves up, I think that says a whole lot about uh, the future uh, prospects for Drew Rahman and what he can do in this organization. Just wait till he gets to work with Adley. Yeah, true. Never got that opportunity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, two more pitchers that I want to highlight before on our list before we move on to the Arizona Fall League talk. Uh, Brandon Young, who was an, another undrafted free agent in 2020, although like J.D. Mundy, he's a guy that definitely would have been drafted. Had he uh, had we had a longer draft in 2020, he started off really well at Delmarva, got the promotion to Aberdeen, and got better as the year went on. Um, so he ends up earning a nod on our all-star team. And then the closer, you know that this is another guy that quickly became a favorite of ours this year, the big man, Felix Batista. Um, walks could sometimes be a concern. You didn't know where that fastball was going sometimes, but it didn't really matter when he was striking out 77 batters in 46 and two-thirds innings pitched. Uh, he has to go into 2022 with how bad the Orioles' bullpen is right now and for how good he was in the minor leagues. I really hope that he goes into spring training with a shot of actually making that bullpen. So I'll just start off with Nick here. Your general thoughts on Brandon Young and the season he put together as a starter and then what Felix Batista did in the bullpen. Uh, with the young, he had a great season. Again, piled up the strikeouts. Uh, tall guy seems to be that prototypical pitcher that Michael Elias likes. And you know, after talking with you know, John Mioli a couple of weeks ago, and it seems like the Orioles are internally pretty high on Brandon Young. So I get the sense that I don't. We'll see. I know John Mioli is working on his Baseball America top thirty list, and hopefully we can have him on to talk about that uh, when he releases that later on in the in the later on in the winter, but I get the sense that maybe the Brandon Young hype train is going to start rolling out pretty soon. Even if it's just, you know, Orioles guys kind of feeding that information out to beat writers and really pushing that narrative on Brandon Young next year, like Cal Bradish last year. Uh, I could see that happening. Batista is just, the guy is just, I, I want, conf- I want confirmation on height and weight. Cause I mean, we've heard what six, seven, six, eight, two seventy five. I don't know what it is. And I want confirmation on this because that is a very large human being. And I do not want to step in the batter's box against him. I'll tell you that. Um, fantastic strikeout numbers. I think he deserves an opportunity, no doubt. Um, and also, I didn't say anything about Ofelke Peralta now that I mentioned it. And I just want to throw this out there. Like, Ofelke Peralta should not be in baseball right now. He should not be in professional baseball whatsoever. Four years in A-ball, signed in 2013. Yet here he is. I think he cracks the major league roster at some point next year. So another fantastic story. I mean, if they didn't get rid of Frederick as a minor league team, he might never have made it. So, you know, that <laughs> hurdle was removed, and he flew up the up the rankings. Oh, sorry, and I'll talk about these guys too. <laughs> Brandon Young, yeah, I think he's a rising star in this organization. Um, he, his stuff seemed to get better, and his confidence seemed to get, you know, better as the season went on. And like Nick has mentioned before, his he felt like his stuff improved as he went up the ladder. Um, when he, once he got to Aberdeen, it really started to, to all click for him. And I think, yeah, he's going to be a guy that will be up in Billy at some point next year and will probably be just keep rising up our top 30 rankings. And Bautista, 
I was honestly surprised he didn't get a shot at the end of the year. Just get him on the 40 man, you know, ahead of time into the off season and give him a taste. Well, who cares? Like just, he could give up 10 runs in an inning and it doesn't matter because it's the Orioles of 2021. But uh, yeah, hopefully he gets a chance next year and I want to see him. Someone said a right-handed Tanner Scott. Yeah, maybe a little bit, but he no one hits him. He, he's the only way he can get hurt is if he walks, bases loaded, and then walks him in, it seems like. So just be fun to watch him get a shot. Maybe he'll he'll be good. I don't know at the major league level, but he get, we got to at least see it to believe it. One thing I do want to throw out there about Brandon Young, if you listen to Zach Peak on our show a couple of weeks ago, you know that when Zach Peak was looking for tips on his curveball, he went to Brandon Young. Brandon Young was one of the guys that he talked to. So Zach Peak makes our all-star team, and so does Brandon Young. Uh, so both guys had big seasons. I will give uh, Bob and Nick a chance to mention some of the pitchers that they had on their list that did not make it. For Nick, that was Noah DeNoyner and David LeBron. So, um, Nick, just give us a little bit of background on those guys and why you uh, had them on your list. Both had very good seasons. Yeah, DeNoyer is just a name I've mentioned a couple of times on the show. I, I loved his story so much. He finished two levels, finished in high A, and he pitched like dominant in high A especially. Walks were a major issue at the beginning of the year, but he seemed to really control those as the year went on. Five and three with a 2.76 ERA and 81 strikeouts this season across two levels. So I had him on my list. Uh, he deserves a shout out, I think. And I also had David LeBron because you know, LeBron very quietly, he was 6-0 and with a 3.56 ERA and 106 strikeouts in 73 innings at the bullpen in Bowie and Norfolk. And I mean, he was a major reason why Bowie made it to the playoffs because I know Bowie's bullpen wasn't always the best and they had their struggles, but David LeBron was really consistent and consistently gave you three, four, or five innings out of the pen. So I think he had a really great year and could be, I don't know. I mean, the walks are kind of an issue with him as well, but maybe he's a guy we see up for a game or two at some point next year. I don't know, but he's definitely a name at least to watch next year going into AAA, I think. Yeah, I think the only guy I had was Alexander Wells, and I know he he lost his prospect status, and he struggled at the major league level. But, I mean, after a kind of a rocky start with the way you know things got – going for him uh this season he had a really great season in triple a with 3.29 era and barely walked anybody so i just felt like he he deserved some love for the way that he performed at the triple a level and it was kind of like uh dr jekyll and mr hyde with him he was like great at triple a and then not so great at the majors so hopefully he can kind of bridge that gap a little bit in 2022 even if it's out of the bullpen so that is our minor league all-star team for the 2021 season. If you want to see the full list with uh, reports, head over to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com and you can jump on the message board there and uh, join the discussion. And you can also see that I put the list there uh, to piggyback on Nick's reports, which were excellent on these players. Just put a list in of the players that received votes that did not make the team. So that's on there as well. So to check that out, head over to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com um, we do have a listener question here that I will take real quick, and this is from uh, Shane Jones. Is the CBA going to affect the draft order? Um, that's a question we really don't have a firm answer to. Um, for right now, I would say that, you know, uh, if you listen to John Mioli on our show a few weeks ago, uh, John actually wrote about this to the Baltimore Sun. And while it is possible that the you know draft order stays exactly the same, and in fact it could be likely um, if the players aren't willing to sacrifice something in the negotiations to make that happen, 
there is a sense that maybe in the CBA negotiations, there's a chance to shake up the draft a little bit, um, disincentivize tanking, I guess, in the process. And that could mean the Orioles aren't guaranteed the number one pick. I personally think it, there's no chance it changes. Maybe it changes for the future, but I don't. I think it's too late in the game to change it for this upcoming draft, even if it does change. So, I mean, of course I could be wrong, but I think it's safe to assume we have the number one pick at this point. I'm not worrying about that. We're, we got the number one pick next year. That's they're not going to change it this close. But again, who knows? But yeah, that's I'm I'm focused on the Arizona Fall League right now. We'll, yeah, and we'll head right yeah. over to that now. And just to go through um, the list here, there's a handful of prospects out in um, Arizona right now. A lot of them are guys that missed some time due to injuries this year, but that I think at various points have been on the radar for their prospect status. And that's guys like Greg Cullen, an infielder that they got from the, the Orioles got from the Braves as part of the Tommy Malone trade. Remember that? Uh, feels like a years ago. Yeah. You know, it feels like a decade ago, but it was last year. And uh, Colin was productive when healthy this year, but did miss a lot of time. Um, Connor Lopritz, who missed some time due to injury. Cameron Bissup, who um, looked really sharp for Bowie, a left-hander, uh, kind of going back and forth between their rotation and the bullpen before missing time due to injury. And Nick Vespi, who might have supplanted Felix Batista as a closer on our all-star list, if not for some time that was lost due to injury. Um, also on the list, out in Arizona for the Fall League, our right-handed pitcher Logan Gillespie, catcher Ramon Rodriguez, and then Kyle Stowers and fellow outfielder Yusniel Diaz. Um so I guess that I'll just start with this question before we get into specific players, which is what are you guys looking for um, in the Arizona Fall League? Because it feels like stats accumulated over a small sample size um, and the Arizona Fall League does have a reputation for skewing towards hitters a little more than pitchers. So for you, are you going to be looking at the stats to figure out are these guys showing improvement or is there going to be more to it than that? even though we're going to have pretty limited access. I mean, personally, I think I'm pretty sure Ryland Bannon destroyed the Arizona Fall League in 2019 after the 2019 season, and we saw how he how he performed in 2021. So I'm not sure you can take too much away from the stats. I think I want to just see some reports, especially on Diaz. What is he looking like? You know, what's his body language look, looking like? How Stowers, like, you know, is he wearing down after the long season? And, you know, I just more about the reports than the stats for me. Yeah, I with Stowers, I just want to see consistency uh, and hope I mean, he's going to face a lot of really talented pitchers out there as well. So even if he does struggle, like, I mean, he could hit, you know, 175 in the Arizona Fall League, and I'm not going to be concerned at all. I mean, it would be great to see him finish really strong. And like I mentioned earlier, rolling the spring training on a high note. But at the same time, I, the pitchers that Norfolk faced this year, I don't think were really like fantastic. Like they faced Mike Wright a couple of times, you know, so like in AAA. Um, I just want to see a little bit of consistency there. Diaz, I just want to see him like swing a baseball bat and actually hit a baseball. Uh, that would be great. A, a good first step for him. Um, but in most of these guys, I think what five or six of the eight on this list, I think five of the eight on that list all miss significant time with injury, like a month or more. So it's just about innings with this group. No real top prospects other than, you know, Kyle Sowers, obviously, but just <laughs> I forgot play. I was going to say. We'll move Just on. play the games. Yeah, get some, you know, get some bats and innings under their belt and get ready for next season. 
Lopritz is one guy that's kind of interesting to me, and I missed this at the time, but back before the season when Eric Longenhagen put together his uh, top 45 list for the Orioles over at Fangraphs, he had a couple more arms to Watts um, section down at the bottom of that report, and he actually mentioned Lopritz. And this is what he wrote in the time, and this is before the 2021 season. Uh, talking about Lopritz's fastball, he said that it, quote, has an awful lot of spin, nearly 2,500 RPM, on average, for how slow it is, 89 to 92 in 2019. I looked before the show, and I couldn't find any updated velo information on Lopritz, but that high-spin fastball is something we know kind of jives with how the Orioles target pitchers, especially right-handers. So I will be interested to see how he looks out there, because this is a guy that missed some time this year because of injury. Yeah, I just hope that someone for the Orioles, one of the beat writers at least, and it's John Mioli out there, uh, to get some – some good reports or, I mean, there's so many just fantastic, unbelievable uh, prospect guys and and women out there in Arizona right now. Uh, The videos are already flooding the timeline today since, you know, MLB doesn't want to stream these games. Uh, But Lowbridge is definitely someone that like, I know personally, I would love to get video of him out there in Arizona. I would love for for someone to have access to him out there and really understand what he's doing because that's a guy like we know nothing about. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I know nothing about this guy. And there was like one start I went back earlier and watched when they were in Brooklyn because you know Aberdeen had no announcer. They had the, no social media presence, really. They had nothing coming out of Aberdeen. So we don't – and Lope, that's where Lopert pitched most of the year when he wasn't rehabbing in FCL. So we just don't know anything about him. And I watched that start in Brooklyn again the other day in preparation for the show, and like I liked what I saw. Curveball was nasty. I was striking guys out. He had four strikeouts. Three of them were on that curveball. Uh, you had Ronnie Marcuccio, one of the Mets' top prospects. I mean, he made him look silly. So there's definitely something there. You see a little bit there. And you know, for Logan Hagen to put him in that little extra section, yeah, he's not a, a top Orioles prospect, but I feel like you have to have a really big standout tool for Logan Hagen to include you in the back end of that list. So that piques my interest a little bit as well with him. And I do think he might be a little underrated because he was pretty unlucky in high A. His BABIP was near 400 against him and his home run fly ball rate was over 20%. So, and with short sample size, that can definitely add up to some poor numbers. His, his FIP or his XFIP might've been a lot lower. I should have wrote that down, but uh, I think, you know, he'll be 24 years old or 25 years old next year. So kind of a last chance a bit to be a bit of kind of a prospect. So, get him some innings and hopefully he can stretch out and start some games in Aberdeen and Bowie next year. Yeah. I think the XFIP was like more than two runs lower than his ERA when I was looking at that earlier. So definitely a big difference. Yeah. I mentioned Vespi a minute ago as a guy who, you know, had he managed to stay healthy and stay as productive as he was at Bowie might've ended up making our all-star team. Um, in 19 innings at Bowie, he had a one, four, two ERA with 26 strikeouts against nine walks. When he went to Norfolk, he only ended up throwing 19 two-thirds innings there. Again, missed a lot of time with injury, but struggled a little bit more to AAA level. It's a 6-8-6 ERA, uh, even as he struck out 25 batters. He did, I believe, just sign a contract to come back to the Orioles for 2022. So looking at a guy like him, who we know is a pretty sharp pitcher when he's healthy, uh, what do you want to see from him in Arizona? Just get some innings in. Again, it's like... You know, and he's, he'll be facing some, you know, Spencer Torkelsons and there's some Brett Beatties. There's a lot of good hitters out there. So just some, get some good experience. And he's 26 years old, or he, at least he will be next year. So, you know, he's this is his time. So he's got to put together a performance. And hopefully he can, like you said, he signed a minor league deal for us next year. 
So it'd be awesome to see him make his major league debut at some point in 2022. And he's got the stuff to be an effective left-handed reliever for sure. I mean, he could at least do as good as Paul Fry did in the second half of the season. Yeah, I think the fact that the Orioles re-signed him tells you pretty much everything you need to know. Like, yeah, the numbers in Norfolk were not great. They were pretty bad, to be totally honest. But he had a couple, you know, pretty good outings in that mix as well. But again, like just looking at the box scores doesn't tell you the whole information. And so we also don't know what that injury was. At least I don't know what the injury was that caused him to miss like five weeks after just like a flat out dominant start in double A to begin the year. I mean, he had like 19 strikeouts or something in his first like nine or 10 innings. Uh, he looked like he was going to be a lockdown closer in Bowie uh, before the injury, but maybe that had a significant impact on him to close out the year. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. So yeah, definitely an older guy, but a guy who also transitioned, I think largely as a starter to a reliever. So it might be a late bloomer here as well. I hope he makes the major league next year. Cause I love the way he attacks hitters and the hair, the hair is <laughs> 80 grade hair. Yeah. And another guy whose ERA and AAA was 6.86, but his XFIP was 4.18. So definitely some bad luck involved as well. Yeah. And just to give our listeners a little bit of context on the timeline here for Vespi, he was placed on the seven-day IL at Bowie on May 25th and was not activated until July 2nd and was in Norfolk by July 27th. So a quick turnaround time between coming off the IL at AA and then making the jump to AAA. That, that was really surprising, actually, that he got promoted so quickly. Like, he had what, two, three weeks of rehab, and then you're up in AAA, the highest levels of the minor leagues that you never pitched at before. So I mean, maybe the organization is just that high on him. So the one name that I think was a little surprising for us when we saw him on the list was Ramon Rodriguez. Uh, because I think that when we think about, you know, sort of those glove-first catchers at the A-ball level, we are, our mind automatically goes to Maverick Hanley. And I think that was a guy that we had actually speculated a while ago could be in the fall league, but Rodriguez has an interesting background. He was actually originally drafted by the Dodgers, was released um, in the summer of 2020 amid the pandemic, gets picked up by the Orioles, and played at three levels this year, um, Aberdeen, Bowie, and Delmarva, spending most of that time at Delmarva, 26 games there compared to 22 in Aberdeen with another six in Bowie. Um, The bat was not great, although his numbers were good over a small sample size in Aberdeen. But apparently a pitcher that, or a catcher that pitchers really love throwing to. Um, Zach Peake talked about that when he was on a few weeks ago. Reports that we have heard a little bit on his defense are pretty positive. So I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I think for Rodriguez, this is an opportunity to catch some really advanced pitching to get more eyes on him and maybe the Orioles – start to see him as another guy who fits in that mold of someone who's in the system, who gives us a lot of values, his defense and his defense might help him get to the big leagues and his ability to work with pitchers might help him get there. Even if he is a backup catcher. Yeah. I don't know how much playing time he's going to get because one of the best catching prospects in baseball, Gabriel Moreno from the blue Jays is on that team. Um, But he's on the taxi squad. Maybe he's just a friendly glove for the Orioles pitchers to get to throw to. But, yeah, like you said, it's the best kind of organizational filler you can have is the guy who can call a great game, provide some good defense for your pitchers, and add some value in that way. And he's still young, and catchers develop slow, so you never know. Maybe they see something in him that they like, and it's pretty cool for him to get this shot, even though I I do think it should have been Maverick Hanley, but maybe, you know, he was banged up too much. They just want to get him the rest over the offseason. 
Yeah, I imagine that probably is the case with Maverick Canley. And with Rodriguez, I mean, I guess I kept thinking as you were talking, Zach, I kept thinking like Austin wins kept coming to my mind. Like, is this the new Austin wins in the organization? And which is fine because guys in the system love throwing to Austin wins. That's why he's been around. It seems like for a decade in the system. Uh, but yeah, I'm interested to know what that taxi squad means in the Arizona fall league. Like, is he ever going to play or is he, is he there just in case of emergency? Like, or is he just going to be like a bullpen catcher? I don't know. But at the end of the day, like he gets to catch some really great pitchers over there and gets to, gets to learn from, like you mentioned, top prospects on his own team. So good experience nonetheless. So, you know, just going over the whole list of guys in Arizona, we talked about Stowers earlier. We've talked about Vespi and Lopritz. Uh, we've discussed UCL Diaz at nauseum this year, I feel like. Um, but I do want to go to him now. Uh, my personal feeling is that, and Bob mentioned earlier, the reports, you know, you got to look at the reports from places, you know, hopefully we get an Orioles beat writer out there. But then aside from that, places like Baseball America, MLB Pipeline, uh, look at what they have to say. If they're writing about Diaz and they say Diaz is moving around the field better than he has all year and is hitting the ball hard and looks good in the outfield and he hits 240, I would be happier with that than a hollow three for nine or some really small sample size, mostly spent at D8s, to be honest. Because I, I just want to know how healthy is he and is there a chance that some of the UCL Diaz that we saw before 2021 is still in there? Yeah, you said ad nauseum. It's more like ad nausea when you're talking about UCL Diaz. But uh, yeah, let's just see what he can do. Let's see if his body language, let's see if the, like having a clean slate, what that does for his mindset. And, you know, if he can go out there and just perform and just get his head back in the game. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe I'm making too much of that kind of stuff. But it's just maybe they should have said Ryan Ripken out there instead at Arizona Fall League. I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of Diaz. I just want to see him show up at spring training, give his best shot, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, this is tough. I mean, I hope he feels the pressure, to be totally honest. Like, I hope he feels – all the way to the world on his shoulders, knowing that he has to perform in Arizona to to have any shot next year. Um, but I kind of had this thought when I was thinking about it, the thought that popped into my head, and this is probably like way off base and probably not true at all, but I'm wondering if there's a small piece of Michael Elias who like he sent Diaz out to Arizona because A, he's he's he he is healthy, and maybe it was just terrible luck, end of a bad season, just everything that went on in Diaz was just like, I'm done with this year. So go out to Arizona, good weather, have fun out there. But I wonder if there's a small piece of Michael Elias who was hoping, like, if we send Diaz out there and let's say on the chance that he catches lightning in a bottle in that small sample size and the data looks good and there are some good reports on Diaz coming out there, Michael Elias can enter the offseason and say, hey, Marlins, hey, whoever else needs an outfielder, we got this prospect here and I'm willing to deal. So I, I wonder if that could be a situation that happens. I don't know. Colorado Rockies, what's up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, here's UCL Diaz. Give us Zach Bean. <laughs> yeah. No, I was about to say, like, throw him in with an Anthony Santander type player. See, you know, if that boosts your trade return a little bit. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't honestly. make that trade if I were on the other end, but the Orioles yeah. could try that if they wanted to. Would Take not him. hurt my feelings, yeah. So, Bob, Nick, just any thoughts in general on some of the guys we have not talked about in the fall league? Um, I know we mentioned all the names. We've given everybody a little bit of coverage, but... Anything with the rest of the group, guys like Colin, Bishop, Gillespie? Yeah, I'd say Gillespie's interesting. You know, he's he's kind of an older relief prospect, but he throws hard. He 
had a 3.47 xFIP in AA compared to like a 5.6 ERA. Um, so interesting arm there. He missed some time, I believe. Stowers, I'm really excited that they decided to send him. The more I think about it, the more I think it just means they're super high on him. And I think it, they want to extend him like a full season length of games, get him used to that for next year, because I think he'll definitely, you know, AAA will start in April and then he'll finish in Baltimore in September. And let's see who else. Colin, I think he's kind of like Taron Vavra's little brother. He's kind of has similar skill set, like left-handed hitting second baseman, ton of walks not a lot of power but he can hit for average so pretty excited to see what he can do and i think that's about it oh cameron yeah. bishop i mean continue what he's doing i was pretty excited with his first half of the season and you know he might be a guy that's starting in triple a at some point next year so definitely get his innings up so that he can hit that threshold next year yeah i think bishop again it was at hartford when he struck out 12 guys uh early in the year um I wonder if like Justin Ramsey moves up to AAA as well with uh, Buck Britton, and so maybe that puts helps put Bishop uh, in a position to maybe crack a major league roster at some point. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead. I know this isn't a prediction show, but I have a bold prediction. I think as far as prospects next year, and he's not really a prospect. I know, but like a minor league uh, bold prediction next year. Uh, I think Greg Cullen's going to be a breakout uh, guy next year. Um, I get, I, I see, I don't, not saying he's going to be a future major leaguer, but I see a path for him at least. I love his playing style. So I think he, I'm calling it out. He's going to be a breakout in 2022. We'll see what exactly that means. But yeah, uh, Gillespie is also kind of interesting. I mean, he throws it like 98 miles an hour. Um, so, and he was the guy who came in after Grayson Rodriguez, like every Rodriguez start when he left, it was uh, Gillespie that came in. And so guy they got from the Brewers and, you know, talking about like Drew Rahm's, the walk numbers go down as he moves up. Uh, Gillespie actually like the strikeout numbers as he's moved up in the system uh, with the Brewers, the strikeout numbers weren't really great, but when he came over here and joined uh, Aberdeen and then Bowie, like the strikeout numbers went significantly up and he was not a high strikeout guy with the Brewers. So maybe the Orioles unlocked something there with him. Yeah. And, spe- and Colin, I actually wrote down in my notes that they're setting him up to be 2022's uh, Patrick Dorian. So I think we're mm-hmm. thinking along the same lines there. Really, really small sample size. Only 24 games of Bowie, but he had a 120 WRC plus um, in that stretch with a walk rate of almost 23%. Take that as you will because it is a small sample size, but it, it leads me to believe that there's something there at the bat. If he can get healthy, if he can get regular at bats somewhere next year. Bishop was a guy that early in the season I had identified as maybe another case of where a pitcher getting out of Frederick was a good thing for him because Bishop was really good in 2018 at Delmarva. Saw some of his numbers, especially his ERA and his walk numbers, regressed at Frederick in 2019, then came out the gate really sharp for Bowie, that 12-strikeout start against Hartford, really being the highlight. And I think he was a guy that, before the injury, was someone you looked at as a possible fast riser that was going to get a lot of time at Norfolk. Um, and Gillespie, just to, or Gillespie, just to try to piggyback off of what Nick said, and that's a really good point about his strikeouts. Um, the last time we saw him on the mound before 2021 was at low A in the Brewer system in 2019. 92 strikeouts and 109 innings pitched. This season he comes out as 52 strikeouts and 41 and two-thirds. So that's a big jump. Uh, to see if he can sustain that going forward would be really interesting. He's 2022's Air Canhold. You heard it here first. <laughs> Which means he'll get, hey, he'll get some uh, relief outings in the majors. Uh, before the season ends in 2022, hopefully with a better Orioles team than what Eric Hanhold, uh pits for. So um, 
We uh, had a pretty in-depth show there looking at our minor league all-stars and our Arizona Fall League preview. And we'll be back next week with more um, coverage here as we're going to have our off-season predictions. So you know that we love to make predictions here on on the Verge. We may also get into some of the arbitration uh, eligible players that the Orioles have on their major league roster and try to figure out exactly how the Orioles are going to plan their offseason uh, with some possible non-tender candidates on the list like Pedro Severino. Um, and then the harder questions surrounding guys like Trey Mancini and Anthony Santander about whether or not there's a trade market for them. So look forward to that next week when we are back on Mondays, our regular night for recording. Um, in the meantime, continue to follow us on Twitter at BSL and the Verds. Be sure to check out Baltimore Sports and Life for Nick's minor league all-star piece. A lot of great Ravens coverage and more over on the site. And be sure to join the message board there. Um, so for Bob Phelan and oh, Nick's got one thing to say here. Yeah, I, I want to mention one thing before we go, though. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw David Hess in his tweet earlier, but like, I just want to shout out David Hess and like say like, we're thinking about him that they discovered he has a cancerous tumor on his chest, pushing down on his heart and his lungs. Uh, and he starts chemotherapy on Monday, apparently, according to his tweet. So like uh, all the best to David Hess and his family moving forward. Hope Absolutely. Yeah, I did not see that. That's terrible. So, yeah, definitely going to be giving him good vibes. Definitely. Yeah, best wishes to David um, this offseason. Off season. Hopefully he's able to make a recovery. We'll be back next week uh, for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. This is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On The Verge. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger. Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.